All right, I want to welcome you to um, Happy Hour with Pastor Dale, tackling tough topics with uplifting love and grace. And I am so excited uh, that you are here. Um, let me just first of all say that um, this has been um, a program that we do once a month on the first Tuesday of every month. And I know that it's being live streamed, so we may have people joining us uh, at this very moment on Facebook or YouTube. Um, or in the coming days and weeks, we may have people watching uh, this presentation. Uh, so I want to thank everybody who is joining us and let you know that uh, we have been trying to do this, as I mentioned, once a month. And, and the goal is to um, bring somebody from our community to a Lighthouse Church to help us wrestle with topics that um, people in our Lighthouse family here deal with. And we know that if we deal with these issues and topics here at Lighthouse Church, chances are there are people elsewhere that deal with them as well. So we've tried to get the word out. So um, I'm just uh, pretty excited about um, not only um, the opportunity to be doing this once a month, but especially excited to um, welcome our guest um, this evening. Um, this is Dr. Renee Renardi. Can I call you Renee? Yes. Yep. That's great. <laughs> And uh, Renee um, is someone I've actually known for a while, long story, um, but she, uh, she has um, a very well-respected practice here in Fargo and is known for her work with obsessive-compulsive disorder, um, not only within our community, but even in a much broader way. And so what a privilege it is to have you here today. And uh, we're going to start by, I, I maybe even told you more than I should have. Tell us, what, would you, what should we know about you? Can you introduce yourself a little bit to our family? Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for, for being here. Um, I'm really, really happy to have this opportunity. Um, I love speaking to anyone who will listen. <laughs> so, because these conditions are, are quite common. So, obsessive compulsive disorder and related conditions. So, uh, probably about 80% of my practice is working with people with OCD. Uh, we'll talk a lot about what that can look like tonight. And related conditions like compulsive hair pulling, skin picking, nail biting, hoarding disorder, Tourette syndrome are all things that, um, that I've specialized in for 23 years now. Um, and I've had my practice here in Fargo since 2010. Prior to that, I was in the Twin Cities, which is where I'm from originally. And before that, I practiced in Washington, D.C., which is where I received my master's degree and doctorate. But I am an NDSU alumni, so I'm, I'm back again. So. You're home. So uh -huh. um, I know that uh, you're, you're married and you mm -hmm. are a mom. I am, yes. Okay. Yep. And uh, so she's a real person, just yeah. like us. <laughs> Um, and uh, so let's just, let's jump right into it. Sounds good. Um, so um, I have told our church family that after we met, um, I was humbled by how little I realize I now know about OCD. And um, many of the stereotypes I had in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, but you taught me a lot that was... Um, just a surprise to me, honestly. So tell us about OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. What does it look like? Um, what are some of the ways that people might experience it in their life? 
Um, and we'll start there. So go Sounds ahead. Sounds good. And I give three-day trainings on OCD. So in the next 45 minutes, we'll get through as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it is, it's a, it's a really complex condition that, that people experience. And so, um, so it is something that I've really, really enjoyed working with, with people with these conditions. And first of all, it's important to understand what is an obsession and what is a compulsion? What makes up OCD? So obsessions are intrusive, unwanted, thoughts, images, or impulses that people experience. Um, now, when we have these uncomfortable thoughts, which I'll talk about all the varieties in just a second, we want to get rid of that, right? That feels really uncomfortable to us. So we, we try to like neutralize that uncomfortable thought, um, that uncomfortable feeling, and that's where compulsions come in. Compulsions are all the fancy things that your brain tells you, hey, this will work, right? So, and with OCD, that can be really unrelated things. So if I have the obsession that, um, you know, my child is going to get cancer, uh, that's a really uncomfortable, scary thought. And OCD be like, ooh, ooh, you know, you better do something about that. Tap that table three times, um, and that'll get rid of that thought, and it'll prevent that bad thing from happening. And so what happens, OCD is a very greedy condition. So it sounds simple enough. I had an icky thought. I want to neutralize that. I tap three times. Should be done, right? That isn't good enough for OCD. OCD is very greedy. It wants more. So I might tap three times, but I'll be like, oh, wait, that third tap, my hand kind of slid off the table. I better do it again. Oh, wait. You know what? Maybe that's two times of three. Maybe I better do three times of three. Well, that one kind of felt weird too. Let me go back and try it again. I'll start. You know what? I'm just going to start from the beginning. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. And the, it builds um, so that people are just they're chasing that just right feeling. Um, and so that's a little bit about what obsessions are: the uncomfortable thought, image, or impulse. And then the compulsions, all the things that people do to try to neutralize that. And that comes in lots and lots of different subtypes. So um, like Dale was talking about that most people think of OCD as contamination, right? People who are germaphobes that, oh, I touched this table. Oh, I don't know what was on there. Maybe I'll go get sick. Let me wash my hands. That's what everyone thinks about as, as OCD or people who are very perfectionistic or like things to be ordered in a just right way. And those things can be OCD um, sometimes, but the most common subtype of OCD that I, I see in my office is harm obsessions. So where people will have an intrusive, unwanted thought that they're going to do something really bad. Right, so I may have the thought right now that um, you know I'm just going to lose control and come up and punch somebody in the audience, right? So or grab a knife and stab somebody, and so that too is a subtype of OCD. I'm terrified of those thoughts. I don't want to have those thoughts, but I'm afraid um, that I'm going to lose control and do something violent. That's called harm obsessions. So harm to self or harm to others. And this gets real tricky in psychology because people do harm other people sometimes. So people do harm themselves sometimes. The difference is when it's OCD, people have a lot of fear around that. So if I'm working with a, um, a perinatal or a postpartum mom who's having obsessions about harming their baby, they come in and they're in tears, they're crying about it. I can't believe I have this thought. I stay away from my baby because I'm so afraid that I'm going to hurt them. 
And so that looks really different than postpartum psychosis, where a new mom might come in and have thoughts about harming their baby, but they're not scared by it. They think that harming their baby is preventing them from a life of sin and ensuring them into heaven, right? Mm. So that's a delusion. That's a psychotic disorder. There's usually not anxiety about it. So they're just, they just feel like they're on a mission to do it, that that's what their delusion tells them in their mind. And then there's postpartum depression, right? So postpartum depression is things along the line of I'm a terrible mother and my child would be better off, you know, if they were raised by somebody else. So these things can, can look you know, different, but with, with OCD, like with harm obsessions, that's something that there's so much fear, there's so much anxiety around it that that looks different than other conditions. If somebody truly is suicidal or truly is homicidal or, or truly wishes harm to somebody else. Um, there's also uh, uh, religious scrupulosity. And I think spirituality and religion is great. I think it's a really good thing for people to have. Um, and there's kind of set guidelines, like this is what's expected for your faith and your religious practices. Now with rig- religious scrupulosity, people go way outside of that um, religious practice where they're praying nonstop during the day. They can't function because they're so afraid that they've committed the ultimate sin or they've done something bad. That's also a subtype of OCD. There's sexual orientation OCD where people will start obsessing about their sexuality and thinking that their sexuality is different than what they always believe themselves to be. So I might work with a heterosexual person that obsesses about being gay. I might work with a gay person who obsesses about being heterosexual. So just different um, than what they've always thought to be true for them. Um, there's existential OCD where people think that they need to know all of the answers of the universe. Like, are we actually here right now? Am I actually, do I exist? How do I know that? Um, how did the universe begin? And these are all interesting questions, but for people with that type of OCD, they can't get unstuck. Um, they can't function. They can't do anything else during the day because they're so stuck on these, these types of obsessive thoughts. So it comes in a variety of, of different ways that OCD kind of gets in people's heads and causes really sticky um, thoughts uh, or obsessions. Okay, so I'm going to take a deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> so how do, you know, how do you know if it's OCD? And um, because... Um, I think that um, most of the people that I know, including myself, will have these thoughts that just kind of come into our head mm-hmm. that um, may, we may wonder where, do they, where is that coming from. Yeah. So um, how do you know if it's um, OCD? you know, OCD. So OCD goes way beyond. So we all have harm thoughts sometimes. We all have bad or, or like, I can't believe I thought that kind of thought. Mm-hmm. So if I'm driving down 13th Avenue and I see some pedestrians standing a little close, too close um, to the road, I might have the thought, oh my goodness, I could have hit them. You know, that was close. I can't believe that they let their child stand that close to the road, right? So that I may have that thought. When I don't have OCD, I'll be like, oh, you know what? That place sounds good for lunch and I just move on. Like I had the thought, it went in one ear and it went out the other. Whereas when people have OCD, they're driving along 13th Avenue, they see that pedestrian or family on the side of the road 
they have the thought, oh boy, they were standing awfully close, I could have hit them. Now they have an intrusive image of like a child stuck under their wheel well, um, or they're convinced that they felt a bump. They better drive around the block one more time, just to make sure that they didn't hit anybody. So, um, or they better watch the news that night, or listen to the police scanner, just to make sure that nobody was hit on 13th Avenue. So it takes something that's not that unusual, we all, and, and research shows that, when we look at the list of the common obsessions that people have, people with and without OCD have the same types of like taboo thoughts or you know uncomfortable thoughts or sensations. For people with OCD, it just sticks. They can't shake it. Mm. Um, and then their OCD tells them, do this compulsion to neutralize it. Engage in that checking behavior or do a mental ritual or um, you better confess that or you better avoid that. Um, you know, you better clean that. Whatever the, the fix-it behavior is and that's what you know keeps the cycle going. That kind of leads to I think a natural question are are people with OCD are they do they have a higher rate or a rate of other um, mental health disorders or addiction disorders um, can you speak on that? Yeah. So people with anxiety disorders and, and OCD. OCD is one of the most disabling conditions. Um, it's one of the top 10 reasons why people are in disability insurance. So this is a very serious condition. And, and it's also something that very few um, treatment providers are skilled in actually treating. It, it, Talk therapy doesn't tend to work for OCD. The only treatment that is found to be evidence-based and really useful, and thankfully it works really well, is called exposure and response prevention. But so often, people don't get the appropriate treatment. And when we don't know how to cope, we tend to turn to maladaptive coping. Um, and that's where you see a lot of addiction uh, and, and people doing behavioral addictions, addic addiction to substances, because we just want to feel better. We just want to escape that and numb out from it. And OCD is one of those conditions that we do see comorbidity or co-occurring conditions like addiction, other anxiety disorders, depression are all very common with, with OCD. So you already answered whether um, OCD is the same as perfectionism, and it's not necessarily. Yeah, they're, they're oftentimes different. So, because I can have a preference, right, to have things lined up and have it tidy and have it neat. Um, and I might even enjoy that. I might like organizing, right? So that's very what's called egocentonic, very like in sync with who I am. Um, whereas OCD might have me organizing things, but I'm gonna be doing it until one o'clock in the morning, right? So, and I'm gonna feel miserable doing it. And I'm gonna set this down and, oh, it didn't quite feel right. Maybe, maybe like I said, you know, there is much more anxiety around it rather than, da, 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 oh, this looks nice. Um, so it's something that really torments people. And that's where um, people who struggle with OCD get so frustrated because you see a lot of celebrities that are like, oh, I'm so OCD about my kitchen and my cookies and my little canister have to be lined up and it just right went like, you know, that um, maybe they really suffer in silence with that, but it's misused so often. There's right. even t-shirts and little memes and stuff like that about OCD. Um, I was just on a Zoom call recently where Howie Mandel was one of the, the panelists 
And he is, has this new campaign through an organization called No OCD, N-O-C-D. Um, it's an app and, and uh, program. And uh, Howie Mandel's kind of partnering with them. And his whole thing is OCD's not a joke. Um, and it was really interesting to hear his story. I'd encourage you guys to check that out yeah. because he accidentally shared with the world his OCD. So he didn't intend to. Um, he was on the Howard Stern show and he thought his microphone was off and somebody had left um, uh, to him who felt really contaminated went through this doorway and he's like somebody has to open that door for me because I can't I can't touch that door Um, and he basically had a panic attack and he didn't realize he was still mic'd up so um, and he thought his career was over he thought everything was over and then he walked out onto the street and somebody approached him was like hey I just heard you thanks it makes me feel not so alone anymore and in that moment he kind of pivoted and was like oh wait maybe you know, maybe I can help people by sharing my experience. Jacob, did you get that link? Gotcha. Okay. Great. Um, he's good. So, um, can I <laughs> can I ask um, where 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 in the heck does this come from? Is this a brain thing that's going on? And I've not heard you mention medications. Yeah. So, um, so OCD is a neurobiological condition. So this isn't just like a personality quirk or a habit or something like that. It does tend to be genetic. So something that can run in families. You may or may not know it. Genetics don't always work from, oh yeah, my mom had it or my dad had it. It can go back a ways. And OCD is a condition. I always ask people that. They're like, well, I don't know anybody in my family. I'm like, well, how many people in your family know that you have OCD? Aunts, uncles, cousins. They're like, nobody. I'm like, well, there you go, right? <laughs> You probably don't know about your, you know, great uncle who had OCD. Yeah. So, and like so many mental health conditions, it's, it's stigmatized. It's getting a little better, um, but there's still work to do. And certainly with OCD, especially if people are having harm obsessions or sexual obsessions, they aren't talking to anybody about that. Okay. So, um, because they, they're like, I can't tell anybody. They're going to think I'm crazy or they're going to lock me up if they think that I'm having those thoughts. So, um, so it leads to a lot of secrecy and shame for people. But it is a biological condition. Um, the treatment is exposure and response prevention with or without medication. So um, people can take psychotropic meds, uh, working with your doctor on that to find the right medication for you. Usually for OCD, the dosages are maxed out. So don't be surprised if you have OCD and you meet with your psychiatrist and they want to give you the top end. You look at it, you're like, wait, that's you know this many milligrams? And I'm taking like max dose? That's common for yeah. OCD. Yeah. They can also augment that with other types. So they might do like an antidepressant medication, um, something like Zoloft, Paxil, Prozac, something like that. They might augment that with an antipsychotic. Um, that doesn't mean, and sometimes people do have co-occurring um, psychotic disorders, um, but it antipsychotics in low doses can really help with obsessive thoughts. So um, don't be surprised if you work with your um, uh, prescribing physician or psychiatrist and they prescribe that as well. They sometimes will also prescribe um, uh, quick-acting um, uh, anti-anxiety medications. So, And that's something, too, if you have a history of struggling with addiction, that's important to share with your doctor because some of those substances can be very addictive. So, um, so it's good to some of them less so than others. So it is something that's that's good to talk about. So obviously this isn't a therapy session. So, um, but I do want to ask this. I want to ask um, how does somebody know whether to seek some help? 
um, because my guess is for some people they're able to manage it for others mm -hmm. it's debilitating yeah how do I know if I should probably get some help for this um, if you could talk about that and then um, I just, I'm wondering about the you know, if you can say a little bit more about the treatments the sure. exposure therapy that you um, have talked about a couple of times. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, I think for anything that we go through, right, you know, in, in this human existence, um, we're going to experience the full gamut <laughs> of human emotion, struggle, suffering. It's just, it's going to happen um, to everybody at some point, and maybe varying degrees, maybe varying types um, of, of experiences that people have. So it's important when we get our dose, right, so that it's like, how do I, how do I, cope with this? How can I cope with this in an adaptive way? Not avoiding it, not turning to the quick answers. There's no simple solution to complex problems, right? So it's being able to really look at that, being able to understand this is what I'm dealing with. And, you know, how am I feeling? What am I thinking right now? What do I got? Right? So, and that's a tough one with OCD because a lot of my, what do I got? A lot of people get misdiagnosed with OCD. And that can delay treatment. So um, the average person with o OCD goes 14 to 17 years um, from onset of symptoms until the time that they get into treatment. OCD impacts one in 50 people, right? So one in 50 people are having, that's average, are having that long of a delay. Um, and when we've suffered uh, for 14 to 17 years um, with a condition, and we don't know what we got, um, or maybe we do, but we're not getting the appropriate treatment, um, people will often, you know, turn to these maladaptive ways of coping, avoidance behavior, addiction, things like that. And so it's really important to find somebody who's skilled in doing this type of treatment and knowing when it's not getting better, despite your best efforts. And maybe you, you're looking at self-help. You have found the International OCD Foundation, which is a great resource, by the way. So um, iocdf.org is their, their website. They actually have a conference this upcoming weekend, a virtual conference, and they have scholarships available for that too. Um, so I'd strongly recommend um, if, if uh, you or a loved one struggles with OCD to to attend that conference. Can um, you say the 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 website? Yeah, I sure time? can. It's iocdf.org. That stands for the International OCD Foundation. Um, they have a virtual conference uh, this weekend, November fourth through the sixth, um, which I'm presenting at. And so, and lots of other, I mean, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people attend that, that conference from all over the world. So it's, uh, it's a really good organization to get involved with. They have a lot of accurate information. They talk about treatment. They talk about the different, all the different subtypes of OCD. So, um, so it is important to recognize when you just can't quite do it on your own. And that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. It's just a matter of dosage, you know, for what you need. If your symptoms are really mild, um, they might fizzle out on their own. Um, so, or uh, you might be able to read some articles, get an idea of what you need to do and start going in the right direction. But for a lot of people with OCD, it has a waxing and waning course with usually a chronic course when it's untreated. So, um, so OCD is one of those conditions that often um, people need some sort of prevention, uh, professional intervention to really break out of the, the grips of, of OCD. Can you talk a little bit about that ex 
exposure therapy? I sure can. So, so, and there's a few different things. You'll see um, with anything in psychotherapy, um, a lot of things that you'll find are based in like behavioral therapies and then things will branch out. You'll hear about acceptance and commitment therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy and things like that. That's all great. That's not bad stuff by any means. But the, the treatment for OCD is called exposure and response prevention. And what we're doing is we're creating a new learning path in our brain. Because if my OCD has told me, sometimes for decades, um, that something bad's going to happen if I don't set down this water bottle in a just right way, um, I maybe haven't tried, you know, I've been too fearful. I know that that sounds silly. Like, I have insight into that, that I shouldn't, you know, that shouldn't really matter. But the feeling is so real that I do it anyway, right? So I do the compulsion anyway, even when I know, eh, I probably don't need to. Um, people feel very driven, very compelled um, to engage in those things. So what we do in exposure and response prevention therapy, we expose people to the uncomfortable thoughts, uncomfortable sensations, uncomfortable images that they have, right? So, and, um, and teaching their brain, not through just talking about it, but actually running these behavioral experiments. So if I'm afraid my daughter's going to get cancer, if I set this, um, this bottle down, wrong and down in a just wrong way, it doesn't work for OCD to be like, oh, this bottle, setting it down, doesn't have anything to do with my daughter, it's unrelated. That doesn't really work for OCD. That works for a lot of other nervous system bullies, like depression. Depression's a bully we can sit down and have a civil conversation mm -hmm. with, right? OCD is not that kind of bully. OCD, we have to stand up to the fear. Even when we know it's not true, um, the feeling is so real that I'll have a thought like, my daughter will get cancer, and I'll set the bottle down in a just wrong way. My daughter will get cancer. 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 And I practice um, those, you know, terrifying thought. I don't want that to happen. I love my daughter so much. I would never want her to suffer in that way, or any child for that matter. Um, but... I have to break that feared conditioning. OCD tells me that, that that association is real, right? So I have to show my OCD, nope, I'm doing it anyway, right? So if I have an intrusive, unwanted thought, OCD might want somebody to go back and repeat their steps. Or if I'm walking through that door and I have an icky thought, OCD will tell me, eh, come back in, go back out again. You better neutralize it with a better thought. Think of something good. You know, think of Jesus. Um, so it's something that, and that can feel good prayer can be great um, in so many things but prayer can become a compulsion as well and that's where it becomes really excessive for people that yeah it's great to be like you know what thank you Jesus for everything and I leave and I have a great day OCD doesn't work that way. OCD will have me coming and going out of that doorway 50 times um, before I can leave and having to repeat my words, get it in a just right way. And so, and that's where, you know, it really crosses over. So what I would have people practice is not doing a fix-it thought, but going through that doorway with an icky thought and practicing that until we break those associations, that fear conditioning that happens with OCD. So does our, you mentioned the brain kind of new pathways. Yeah. So it literally creates new pathways that 
that our brain can then go back to later? Is that what you're trying so to create? So the, the part of the brain that's involved with OCD is called the cortical thalamal striatal loop. And that's a part of our brain that people are like, well, I hit my, kid, my head as a kid. I fell and had a concussion. Did that cause this? No, it's so deep inside of our brain. It's like our primal center. It's our survival center of our mm. brain. So it's the part of our brain that tells us run away from the polar bear. All right. So that's what we're dealing with here with OCD. The problem is with OCD, with that loop, that little part of our brain, it gets stuck on things that aren't real threats. We're not dealing with a polar bear here, but when I do a brain scan and look at somebody's brain, it looks that way. You can't tell the difference between somebody getting chased by a polar bear versus somebody having an obsession. Mm. So that's how powerful OCD is. And that's why people do all of the silly compulsions is because they have that much intensity, that much survival feeling um, in their brain. They can't ignore that. It's like seeing a child run into traffic. You just react. Um, and so and that's the, the feeling that comes so often with OCD. So you had mentioned um, picking and hair pulling earlier. Mm -hmm. So obviously self-harm to some degree is not um, uncommon with OCD. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Because I want to just touch on a couple of things quickly that our family may deal with. Yeah. Okay. So, so OCD, these are all... Um, uh, Obsessive, compulsive, and related conditions, okay? So OCD is actually different than hair pulling, skin picking, nail biting, but they're kind of under the same umbrella still. So if somebody comes to me with compulsive hair pulling, which is very common, um, you know, about one in 20 people struggle with a body-focused repetitive behavior, so um, who pull their eyelashes, pull some or all of their hair, uh, and, you know, everybody bites their nails to, you know, some extent, but this is to a clinical level where people have completely bitten their nails off um, or you know, caused quite a bit of damage um, to their skin or hair or nails. That's when it becomes a clinical. Now, subclinically, so many people experience it to a subclinical level. But um, with trichotillomania, compulsive hair pulling, incredibly common. Lots of people do it. I can promise you if you don't do it yourself, you know somebody who does. You may not know that you know somebody, but I can guarantee mm -hmm. you do. Um, and uh, skin picking, nail biting, all of that stuff. Very common, separate conditions from OCD. Um, another kind of subtype of, of OCD, kind of under that OCD and related conditions, is hoarding disorder, which is also very, very common. So um, something that uh, I wrote my master's thesis and my dissertation on hoarding and even back then, living in Washington, D.C., I'd go to the National Institute of Health. I had access to all that stuff back then. And I got all the articles ever written on hoarding, and it was a stack about that big, right? Really? So yeah. um, there just wasn't very much. Hmm. And they thought that it impacted maybe about 500,000 Americans, something like that at that time. Now we know that, you know, millions and millions of people to varying degrees struggle with hoarding disorder as well. So it's very, very common. Um, and it results from a number of different things. Sometimes it's OCD related. Oftentimes it's not. Um, so it's looking at, can it be caused by trauma or depression? It's a compulsive behavior, um, but it can be a little different from OCD. Something else that I have, a, and I have a brochure out um, in the entryway on OCD, one on um, uh, hoarding, 
I don't know if I have one on body-focused repetitive behaviors or not, the trichotillomania, but um, there are a lot of good resources for that as well. Um, and feel free to reach out to me. I can point you in the right direction with any of these things. Another one is body dysmorphic disorder. Everyone thinks of like Michael Jackson, right? So where people do excessive plastic surgery um, if they have those kinds of resources. Otherwise, it's avoidance behavior. People who are of normal appearance or even attractive will feel like they look like a monster. Um, oh. And they won't go outside or they'll engage in compulsive checking behaviors, checking in the mirror, comparing themselves to other people um, when really, you know, they look fine. Um, but they can go to really extreme measures trying to alter their appearance. There's another thing called olfactory reference syndrome where people will think that they have a body odor when they actually don't. They can smell lovely, um, but they think that they, they have some sort of body odor that's um, repulsive um, and, uh, and it's not actually there. So there's, there's a big umbrella of um, obsessive compulsive and related conditions. So one of the great benefits of this, uh, this is to my Lighthouse family, is that um, you may realize that there are ways of being a mess that we haven't even discovered yet in our church. <laughs> um, there's a lot of a lot of um, issues that can, that people can deal with. Um, so I want to I want to pose to you a, a, a serious question in this church community, um, and that is that most people can't afford to get the treatment that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so um, you know what what can we do? Um, as a church, what can we do as individuals? Um, you know, are there places that we can go to get some some help if we're, you know, paralyzed by this? Because, um, you know, that's that's a big segment of the community that we are here at Lighthouse. Yeah, and I think that this is a, this is a struggle. Access to care in general yes, is, is a huge problem. Um, and as a you know person uh, devoted to mental health, it's something that it just um, you know drives me bonkers to see you know so many people talking about mental health and everything that, but yet um, it's becoming harder and harder for people to to get services and as mental health providers to get people in. So many p places have even if you do have access. You're probably going to wait six months um, right. to get in to see anybody. So it really makes it makes it a struggle. So I think um, a lot of times, and what a lot of people are starting to look at is kind of what, what are these different stages that you can go through in treatment? And starting with psychoeducation, you know, really looking at um, websites, learning what are credible um, places to go to, to get information. So um, the one that I mentioned earlier, the International OCD Foundation, there's so much information on that website for free. Um, they have videos and webinars and a Facebook page page and uh, scholarships like the conference this weekend. They have a number of scholarships available for people. Um, uh, for seeing a, a mental health provider, um, going to somebody who does take your insurance or your medical assistance program, um, and and talk to them about that. They can get trainings um, themselves too. It's it's hard um, because they're busy and swamped and treat everybody. Right? It's very difficult to be an expert in all conditions. Correct. Um, but if you struggle with OCD, you can ask your your um, treatment provider to say, "Hey, there's a training that you could get through this organization," and and maybe they organization, if they work at Southeast or the Village or wherever, they might be able to get funding for that. Or the organization itself will give them a scholarship to receive that training so that they can work with you. 
I do free consultations um, with, with therapists uh, around the country um, to kind of supervise them and working with people with OCD and related conditions because there's not many of us. So at one point, I was probably like one of 20 <laughs> therapists in the country that specialized in some in of the these country. conditions. Um, so oh. it's something that... Um, it does make it really difficult. Um, uh, sometimes clinicians will offer sliding scale or pro bono as well. So that's always something to, um, to ask about uh, too. So I know our practice has tried to do that. It's tough because usually the people who really need those services are struggling a lot um, and they'll end up being long-term clients. So even though we offer pro bono and, and low fee, usually the people that we have in those positions, you know, they're there for a while. So it might be a while before we have another position open up where we can, um, you know, as a practice afford to, to see people at a lower rate. So I think that it is, it's worthwhile to um, advocate for yourself, go to these organizations. A lot of these organizations have a list of clinicians too, like on the International OCD Foundation. You can type in your zip code and get a list of providers in your area. So, and that can be a helpful resource as well. So just to be clear, I'm asking this for a friend. Mm-hmm. Noted. So what if somebody is in a relationship with somebody with OCD? Yeah. That it's maybe somewhat debilitating. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to that person? So the first step, if you love someone, care about someone um, who struggles with OCD, is to... Uh, is to get information on it yourself and to understand how difficult it is for that person to, to change. Um, and if you're part of their OCD obsession, I would say consider it a compliment because they, they love you so much that their OCD has been that bully and picked on you for it. So just like, you know, like if I had an obsession about my daughter having cancer, I'm not going to pick somebody I don't like, right? So OCD is right. not going to do that. It's going to go after the people that are most dear to me so that I'm trying to protect right? Yeah. OCD is going to bully um, the person on that. So it's important to understand OCD. Um, th there's a, a whole area of OCD called family accommodation. So if, if somebody does have, for instance, contamination OCD, that, um, you know, their loved one who has OCD, um, you know, that, uh, you know, say they get home um, from being out and about during the day and the person with OCD is like, take off your shoes, don't sit on the couch, go take a shower, throw your clothes immediately into the wash, right? Like, don't touch anything, don't, don't do anything. And this happens a lot with people of all ages, but even with little kids. I've had families that they're like, we haven't had a repair person to the house in years. Um, so when we come into the house, we strip down to our underwear, get in the, get in the shower before we do anything. Now that can sound like, oh my gosh, you know, it's so easy to judge, right? But when your child is is crying and screaming, guess what? You get into the shower. Yeah. So, um, and it's understanding that um, those are family accommodation behaviors. There's things that you can do to kind of unwind those compulsions, but it has to be done gradually. It's very difficult to be like, I'm not getting in the shower and I'm going to go lay on your bed with my contaminated clothes. That's probably going to send that person over the top, right? So that's the, the kind of right idea with exposure therapy, but it's got to be done in a gradual way. The same way if I'm working with somebody with a spider phobia, I don't throw 10 tarantulas on them, right? So <laughs> it's something that, I always say that's the fourth yeah. session. Um, yeah. So we... <laughs> 
we we start off with just looking at a picture, you know, of like a little cartoon or something like that spider. And then we gradually work up to, um, you know, more and more difficult things. And that's what families have to do too, to unwind those compulsions that have usually okay. developed. So we're going to get very practical. Yeah. Um, speak to me. Mm-hmm. As um, a, a life partner, mm-hmm. I'm setting this water bottle down. And I said, oh, I can't set it that way mm-hmm. because I know that it means my daughter's going to get cancer. Mm-hmm. What do you say to me? So if I notice that as a family member, you know, I'd be like, hey, you know what, Dale, I noticed that you, you sent your wa- water bottle down in kind of that compulsive mm-hmm. way. So is OCD being bossy right now? Do you need my help? So, Okay. Um, no, I just know that I have to set it a certain way or our daughter's going to get cancer. Mm-hmm. What do you say? And then I might say as a family member, that sounds like an OCD thought. Or if you're asking me for reassurance, okay. do, you think, do you think our daughter's going to get cancer? Um, I don't want to be like, no, it's fine. We live a healthy lifestyle. You laying that water bottle down isn't so going to cause it. So you're trying to address it from an OCD standpoint. Right. So because okay. giving kind of the typical intuitive response to be like, no, no, setting this water bottle down doesn't cause cancer in somebody. That's what I intuitively want to say. That's the worst thing I can say to somebody with OCD, all right? Because I'm giving you reassurance. Reassurance seeking is a compulsion. So, and even though I'm, I'm maybe, you know, telling, you know, be like, oh no, it's okay, don't worry about that. I don't want to do that with somebody with OCD. So if I see you doing, you know, doing that compulsion, I might be like, are you stuck with OCD right now? What would Dr. Renardi tell you to do? You probably need to do an exposure. You need to set that water bottle down. Our daughter might get cancer. Our daughter might get cancer. Our daughter might get cancer. So I'm not reason. OCD is not a bully you can reason with. You can't talk yourself out of it. It's all emotion-based. It has nothing to to do with, you know, we can kind of know that, of course. We don't want our daughter to have cancer. Um, But, and I kind of know that setting this water bottle down, it feels true, even though cognitively I know it's probably not. So if I see my loved one engaged in a compulsion, I might ask, are you stuck in a compulsion? You should probably have an exposure thought right now. And if it's too hard to have the thought, our daughter might get cancer, we could work on our daughter might stub her toe today. Our daughter might stub her toe today. Our daughter might stub her toe today. And do something on a much more mild, um, like harm uh, or bad thing happening. Or she might experience a mild in- inconvenience today. Or she might experience a mild illness. She might get a cold, right? So, and that might be where we start. Um, or if it, I might even work with somebody else. I might say Kim Kardashian might get sick today, right? So that's easier. Um, so it's something that it's, it's being able to take it to a celebrity or something like that that's very distant um, versus, you know, all of the things that are so close to us that OCD gets so bossy about. So the obsessive thoughts that often are driven by fear or uncertainty, we, we address in kind of head on, yeah. but not just telling them that those are wrong thoughts. Right. So they're, they're just obsessions, right? So, and people all around the world have these same types of obsessions. So I've done this a long time. It's been a long time since I've heard anything new. OCD tends to use the same content. So even when people are like, oh, Dr. Renardi, I don't know if I can tell you about this. Um, I'll, I'll usually guess it. I'm like, oh, is it this? They'll be like, how did you know? Right? So, or, oh, when you have that bad thought, do you ever notice that you got to like look at that person that feels like you're going to get emotionally contaminated from, like you're going to get their internal qualities that you don't want and then you got to look at a good 
person and breathe on them. They're like, how did you know that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, OCD so often, um, it doesn't come up with the new material, which I think is fascinating because people all around the world have these same types of obsessions and compulsions. So usually when people come in and they think that they have some new material for me, I'm like, yeah, not even the first time today, right? So um, that I'm always like, I'm sure there's lots of wonderful and unique things about you, but your OCD is probably not one of them. So for those of us who've struggled with addictions, we learn that same thing. We're sure that we're just unique and nobody ever's had the same thing happen to us. And we very quickly find out we're all the same um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So um, we're going to do question and answers in just a minute. Um, but I just want to um, give you a chance to say a word of hope to anybody here that is um, struggling with OCD. So something, and I can give a pretty strong um, uh, encouragement or, or uh, sharing hope, because OCD, as miserable as it, as it is to experience, it is one of the most treatable mental health conditions that people have. So it is something, but it requires the right type of treatment. Um, and a good subset of people respond um, to, to OCD. There are a number of folks that it tends to be a longer haul for, okay? So, but even if it's a longer hall with having continued support, finding where you're getting stuck, modifying um, some things, sometimes using the medications, augmenting. There might be other factors involved, um, but the prognosis is typically very good for OCD. So um, so it is something that it's finding um, somebody who, who understands you, learning as much and advocating for yourself as much as you're able to. But often, um, OCD is something that people can uh, make huge improvements with. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So let's uh, take a few questions. If you'd like to ask a question, uh, Kirk is going to run a microphone and maybe um, identify yourself. And we're going to keep our our questions brief and um, try not to, we're not going to try to dialogue here. So, So, um... I'm just kind of curious, like, what's the difference between, like, because you talked about, like, OCD being fixated on something, Mm -hmm. and my therapist and I talked a little bit about it, and I'm kind of curious, like, what's the difference between, like, PTSD... uh, fear from PTSD versus OCD or autism versus OCD? That is an awesome question. So, and, and it can be very difficult to tease out. So her question is, how do we know the difference between OCD, PTSD, or trauma-induced anxieties, um, and, and autism? And so, and it's not uncommon for people to have all of the above. We could have A, B, C, or D, all the above, right? Yeah. So, um, so it is important to do, um, in psychology, what's called a good functional behavioral analysis. So looking at like, you know, what's your history? So like, what is the trauma, uh, for instance, that people experience? Because with trauma, people can have a lot of intrusive thoughts, right? So, but oftentimes they're trauma-based. They can have a lot of um, like magical thinking or things like, okay, well, if I do this, then nothing bad's going to happen. 
OCD, so you, you do, you can get a lot of crossover between these things. They're, so they're not always completely separate conditions. They can crisscross a little bit. So, and that's where, you know, working with your clinician to determine like, okay, where do these things intersect? The good thing with a lot of these conditions is that exposure therapy is helpful for all of them, okay? So we don't, and we might introduce some other, if I know somebody has a trauma background and they have an autism spectrum diagnosis, um, that it's something that I'm going to do more, and I usually do an integrative treatment anyway, of using a few different modalities of psychotherapy. So I'll do exposure and response prevention. We might also do some social skills training, and we might also do some, some trauma-related work too. So, and for trauma and, and some types of OCD too, is um, there's a type of OCD called sensory motor OCD where people have hyper awareness of their bodily functions. Um, so like I'm, I'm thinking about blinking um, or I'm thinking about bodily functions that I'm having and trying to control them. Now when people have trauma, they can also have hypervigilance. They can also have like super spidey senses of noticing the things around them, right? Because their trauma mind is just trying to protect them. And so, and sometimes people will dissociate or get separate from their experience. They don't want to experience it, but exposure therapy is kind of bringing people back into the experience. So if I work with somebody who has trauma and OCD and they're dissociating, I'll bring them back. I'll have them, you know, describe to me what you're feeling. How does your body feel right now? Where do you feel that emotion? So is it in your chest? Is it in your throat? Is it in your big toe? Where are you experiencing that right now? If it were a color, what color would you give to it? How big is it? Does the inside feel the same as the outside? And it's really having people expose themselves to those sensations that they've avoided. And then we learn how to cope with it, right? So and there's so many different ways that, that we cope. And understanding our own unique vulnerabilities abilities, right? So, and these are important, whether it's fear-based conditions like OCD um, and, and trauma or, you know, other like uncomfortable, you know, um, a nervous system that's just wired to be a little bit more sensitive to lights and sounds and things like that. And so it's really understanding what our vulnerabilities are. Doing exposure to build a little tolerance too can be really helpful to anything in life. Right. Couple, we've got hands everywhere, so... Yes, what's the difference between um, what I've heard is called ticks mm -hmm. and OCD? Another great question. Boy, this is a great audience. So what... We're, we're experienced in these kind of yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the difference between tick disorders? Um, and, and we're not talking about wood ticks. We're talking mm. about a neurologically based condition where people can experience motor ticks. <clears throat> <clears throat> you know, and that can be like throat clearing, coughing, or whoop, you know, little noises or things like that. So that, that's, that's a tick, that's a vocal tick. There's motor ticks, bl eye blinking, you know, jaw throwing your head back. 80% of, of motor tics are shoulders and up, but they can be, they can be any um, uh, movement that people feel like they have to do. So tick disorders are probably like a cousin to OCD. They co-occur more than, than other conditions um, tend to. So there is some kind of genetic uh, relationship between OCD and tick disorders. So um, and uh, to have a tick disorder, you either have vocal tics or motor tics. If you have both um, for an extended period of time, that's diagnosed as Tourette's syndrome. So... 
And there are lots of treatments that you can do. The treatment for Tourette syndrome is called CBIT, Cognitive Behavioral Interventions for Ticks. And it's learning, you do a little exposure, you gotta build tolerance to those sensations because most people feel a tick coming on. Um, and there's sometimes things that you can do, like a competing response. Now it's really important for people to understand, these are not easy things to control. It's like trying to control a hiccup. All right. So it isn't like people have real easy control over these things. So, but there are things that you can do um, sometimes to lessen uh, the degree at which people experience these things. Understand what's called the antecedents or situations that lead to that. So if somebody wears a collar, you know, that can lead to a lot of like neck ticks. Like I can help them build tolerance um, to that feeling so they tick less. Um, but also maybe if they're in the beginning of treatment and they're going to go sit in church and they don't want to be experiencing that neck tick, maybe we just just do what's called stimulus control and we don't wear a shirt that has a collar on it, mm -hmm. right? So until we build that tolerance up. So there are a lot of things that we can do to in treating tick disorders. I think there was a question in the back and we're not going to be able to probably take all of them, but we will um, take a couple more. Hi, yeah, I was just wondering if you could explain a little more about the exposure therapy and in particular in relation to the like obsessive thoughts yeah so if I could speak a little bit more to exposure therapy and in particular to obsessive or intrusive thoughts. So, and like I said, this comes in a variety of different ways. Harm obsessions, sexual obsessions, religious obsessions, moral obsessions. Oh, did I cheat on that test? I think I maybe looked the other direction while I was taking this, you know, or whatever it is. I might have been speeding. Um, so the existential, relationship OCD, sensory motor. I mean, the list goes on and on. But if I'm having intrusive thoughts, if I'm afraid that I'm going to yell out a curse word right now, and that's maybe not my tick, but it's something that I maybe um, am afraid of that. This is an example of OCD, that I'm going to say something blasphemous or something like that. Um, so I want to avoid that. The more I push away from it, the more OCD pushes back, right? So when it becomes this battle and this struggle. OCD is going to win that. And so instead of trying to be like, no, I don't want to think that, that I will sit in church and I will practice having bossy, you know, those, those bossy thoughts. I might even have them written out on a note card where I'm sitting there, I got my list of blasphemous thoughts, and I'm practicing. God knows the difference, all right? Mm -hmm. So um, we're standing up to OCD in this situation. This has nothing to do with religion um, or what your belief system is. O for people who experience religious scrupulosity, religion, you know, just like the child example, it, religion's important to you, and that's why OCD can go after that. So we just look at the content of whatever the bossy, intrusive, icky thoughts are that OCD picks on you for, because it's important to you. Um, and so, and we just scoop it up, right? We're like, thank you for that material. It's kind of, I always say, it's kind of like OCD rolls a grenade at us. We're like, ah, grenade, right? So, but when we look closely, the pin's still in it. So now we pick it up, now we have ammunition, right? Mm. So, and that's what we do with these intrusive thoughts. And maybe that's a little too hard. Let me put that one to the side. I'm going to work on the slightly easier thought. Maybe it's a little too difficult for me to think that super scary thought, like my daughter will get cancer, or a really icky blasphemous thought, or whatever it is, or a harm obsession, or a suicide obsession. But maybe I start with like a word that could I start with. Maybe I start with, you know, if I have um, an obsession that I'm going to stab somebody, um, maybe I could say, you know, something like, I'm going to look at somebody mean today. I'm going to look at somebody mean today. So maybe I swear at somebody today. You know, I might do that. You know, like I might lose 
lose control and do that today. And I don't even do it, um, but just the, the concept of I might do that can be an exposure. So we come up with a list. What are all the different obsessions that people have? And then we usually rate that list, one to 10. One easy, 10 extremely difficult. What this does is it gives us our roadmap because we start with the easier thoughts, right? So, um, so if I have intrusive thoughts about swear words, I'm gonna start with darn it, right? So, or something like that. That's like, eh, a little uncomfortable, but I can do that. And then we work all the way up to the F word, right? So in all the combinations and, you know, all the things that, that happen with that. So, you know, we might start with like an easier type of, of thought. We do a practice. And like anything, after a while, it gets boring. So if I tell you guys a really funny joke right now, if you laugh five times later, less funny, 150 times later, not really funny at all, right? Mm. Kind of got old. Um, that's how intrusive thoughts work too. We're not pushing them away. We're scooping them up. We look at it, 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 until our brain's like, yeah, whatever, right? So, and then it, bloop, then it drops out. Um, so, and that's kind of what we do with, with intrusive thoughts. Um, we take them kind of in, in order of easy to, to most difficult. Um, and then we give it lots of repetition to get our brain kind of bored with it. We don't react in the same type of way. We're not doing compulsions. I'm having the obsession. I'm not doing the compulsion, right? And so, and I keep going on with my life, living life the way I want to, not sitting at home struggling with my OCD, but maybe I have an intrusive thought that's okay, I'm still going to go out to a movie with my friends, right? I'm not letting OCD get in the way of my life anymore. I'm living a values-based life. I can sit with that thought. I can look at that thought, look at it, look at it, look at it, look at it, and, and OCD loses its power. So I think we're going to um, end there, I'm afraid. I, I want to honor your time and your time. Maybe we can ask you if you can stick around for a couple of minutes if people have some questions or want to meet you. Sure. Um, and um, I, uh, we went over our regularly planned time. Um, so I want to thank you. Um, I told um, our church family that this would be very informative. Was I correct? Um, and uh, you shared a lot of information. And, um, you know, we... Uh, we would like to um, kind of stay in touch. Maybe you'd come back sometime Absolutely. and, and kind of talk about this a little bit mm -hmm. um, more. So um, thank you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, for, sh for sharing with us. And uh, God bless and thank you for um, coming to Happy Hour. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you all.